welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for May. May I start by saying that this is a very, very exciting time because they say, okay, look at it this way. There are certain people that you interact with in the kind of the this kind of space, in this kind of tabletop kind of board game board games kind of space. And they're always there. And they always reply and they're always polite and they're always professional. And they're usually the person that says, yes, we've got you down to look at this or could you help us with this? Or they send you kind of little little kind of press releases and stuff like that. And while the show, we do obviously concentrate on the designers and the developers and the Kickstarters, we do have kind of like media people on as as well. So I wanted to bring on somebody who is maybe at the core of this or maybe not at the core of this. You could say maybe that they've not core, but they're more coreless. And they're not just here. They're not, I, I I want you to kind of put your hands together and pray. Maybe even Osprey, because from Osprey Games, I've got Benji Corliss. <laughs> How do I dignify that? I don't know. That's quite That's short, short verse, so That's thanks for incredible thank you so much thank you for having me no it's i mean it's as i say it's kind of like we've been we was going to say we've been having a long discussion in the green room but there are are people (laughs) well that it's the okay it's the puce room okay it's the the indigo room okay so if you had a room and you had one core color what would you what color would it be i would probably have uh one black room i would have one dark room i would like, have the dark room like a, i would have the dark like room I'd have, yeah 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 what's his name john um the guy who tours dark room that's what i would have i would have his space have you seen that show no it's a guy who does uk games expo every year his name's i want to say john ronson but it's not ronson i'm gonna kick myself after this when i remember i'm gonna like there's people but, now it's like the current screaming, screaming. Yeah, but he he does like a choose your own adventure mud game at oh, Expo right. every okay. year um, called the Dark Room. So it would be a dark room. See, I'd be Indigo because Indigo's. Oh, you're like okay. Well, we can stop. You know, we can continue. No, Google. Like we've got to look. Look here he goes. <laughs> yeah, but you help, help help yourself. But you've it, got the to. reason. I'm so okay. I'm. I was kicking myself. It's John. Now I'm gonna have to make sure I get it right. It's John Robertson. We can just cut this right in. No. Right? John Robertson, <laughs> I just said it. Great. Good. And, and then we've got that. And now what I'm going to do is at the beginning of the show, I'm just going to have you repeating the name John Robertson straight for the first Damn like it. 30 seconds <laughs> of the show when it comes on. And then anytime you mention anybody else's name in the entire show, I'm going to cut it in That's and just have you say John Robertson. So the, <laughs> the, the designers are the designers of general orders, John Robertson and John Robertson. <laughs> And he's going to be like, 
And meanwhile, he's sitting, probably having his dinner at this time, you know, scrolling through the internet, and all of a sudden, his yeah. right ear just goes on fire because he realizes that we've been that we've been talking about talking about him. Um, how long have you been at Osprey for? I mean, try to bring this back into some kind of sensible That's kind fine. of order. That's fine. You're going to have to wrangle me because I will wonder. Um, I've been there for two years. I've been at Osprey. Oh. Uh, I started um, about a year into the pandemic, just wow. as everything, just as we realised that the pandemic was well and truly upon us. Mm-hmm. That's when I joined. And where did where did you come? Let, okay, let's do this in kind of reverse because what we like to do yeah. in the show is we like to have a little glance back at the past. We like to have a look at the marketing copy of the present before we have a look at our future plans of the future on our multicolored Excel spreadsheet that I am disgusted that you don't have. You've got to have the well, color lilac in your Excel spreadsheet, otherwise you just have to As long as home. you double code it, I'm fine. Double code your spreadsheets, folks. Colors and symbols, everything should have both. <laughs> yes. For color blindness, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. the reason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you quite... Because that's twice you've mentioned colorblindness, so yeah, you quite badly yeah. kind of colorblind. I'm I'm not severely colorblind, but right. um, I am. I'm, I'm I've got a moderate level um, enough that everybody at work has a bingo card that whenever I mention it, it gets crossed off a bingo card for me. Really, um, but it's it's a big thing. I think for me, accessibility is uh, mm-hmm. a big thing, and that's my that's one of my little inroads. Like that's a thing that I know about, so I become a bit of a vocal. Um, uh, like advocate for that yeah, in the office okay. to be like we should double code stuff there are people who can't see if you put if you put this red next to the screen you're not going to see it and like I think there's quite a lot of people who uh, who don't realise how important that is because uh, there's a high percentage of people who are colourblind and interestingly it kind of is it am I right in saying it's a higher percentage of kind of males that have the colour the colourblind kind of deficiency yeah and obviously, um, board gaming and tabletop gaming in general skews male, so it tends to be more gamers. Yeah, yeah. I do remember there being a huge kind of everybody standing up and almost doing like that um, Meryl Streep applause gif when I think it was Bungie announced that they were introducing kind of like an entire range of kind of, I think it was like different kind of colorblind settings. Yeah. And a lot yeah, of people yeah. went, this is wonderful. This is advanced. And other people went, it's 2014 people why haven't we had this since the kind of (laughs) why haven't we had this since we've been able to have so kind of so many kind of so many kind of colors um let's go back when you were growing up and young Mm. i don't know if you were just like rolled off the production line when you're 25 year ones young (laughs) were you have you always were you like a creative kid? Were you kind of like into your Lego? Were you kind of like you know drawing your art and stuff like that? Or was that creativity something that you grew into? Because I know some people that they don't kind of find their kind of their jam until they kind of find themselves a little bit older. So where yeah. were you in that kind of kind of scale? That was that was definitely me. I'm very much a creative adult. That's that's me. Mm-hmm. all over but as a child uh i couldn't pick up a pen or a paintbrush i was absolutely dreadful i hated it mm-hmm. and there was a point where that sort of crossed over where i discovered that actually i don't need to be able to accurately represent something with a pencil yes. what i can do is take a picture of it or use a lens to do a thing or work in a more abstract way so uh yeah i i've got like an art school background um all I've right got, okay uh, 
I've got I'm I'm uh, film education, um, right? Lens based media is all my thing, um, right? Okay. So I'm a dabbler. So as as a young child, not so much, and then as I got sort of um, as I got to like early secondary school, that then took over and became my thing. So you were. It was a case of you. It was a case of you finding the medium that you could then express yourself, kind of, kind of in. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. My um, my grandfather was uh, he used to work for David Bailey, the photographer. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay. He was a professional photographer for his whole life. And, yeah. Uh, I there was a point where that just kind of switched on for me, and I realised, oh, actually, that's that that's something that I could really get behind. Um, and actually, completely separate to him, I just kind of discovered this, and then uh-huh. sort of made this family link. Um, so yeah, that that was my in. Was uh, I worked as a video producer for a long time, um, and like video and like moving images and taking pictures was always my thing one of the things with and i've done videos and obviously not in a very very good way because i did videos for a while i went oh no i can't can't do that i'll scare away kind of i was going to say i'll scare away small children but it was the point i was scaring away big children and then Mm. you had adults looking at my youtube channel and just running away and going shall we kill it with fire (laughs) um but you kind of get this view that kind of like filming stuff and taking pictures and stuff is all kind of amazing and wonderful and gorgeous and beautiful things to do. But doing kind of processing videos is generally like, guess I'll go and put the kettle on again. Yeah. <laughs> this it kind takes of, a long time. Renders. Yeah. Yeah. Rendering and editing is huge. People do not realize how long that can take. And for me, like there was such a distinctively different step when mm. Uh, social media kicked in and we started having not just like cameras on our phones but when we started being able to edit video on our phones yeah and being able to basically cut out so much of the time it takes to take all of the clips off of a memory card yeah and put them onto your computer and load them into your software and then to render everything and now i can literally film stuff and that stuff i'm filming is literally already on my video editing and i'm good it's yeah. amazing so you can just you can just have it automatically kind of almost like getting dumped into like a cloud situation. Yeah. So you can then kind of find it on your computer and kind of start editing. Yeah, so, like imagine painting, but you've already got the paints in the house rather than going, oh, I really need fuchsia actually. Oh, can we go and <laughs> go and buy some fuchsia? I've got, I've got a few, I've got a fuchsia down here. <laughs> I literally like okay there's a story right I got I got into my I got into my painting recently. I haven't painted for like 30 years though I had like um yeah. hero quest when I was like um yeah, yeah I was gonna say 15 16 and then obviously I did my kind of you know Hulk smash with paintbrush yeah. kind of thing yeah. and you had blob, like blob. you know basically you know barbarians kind of going there's I can't I can't even kind of hold this sword the way you've painted my fingers <laughs> unless I'm gonna attack attach them with hot dogs um <laughs> And so I came back and recently I've been kind of diving back into the kind of the miniature painting. And then I was mm. kind of like, I was like, uh, somebody said, oh, you don't want to get the official brand of primer if you just go to like um, a popular kind of bicycle based car shop, mm-hmm. you can pick up kind of primer from there. And then I was in B&M, which is a treasure trove of just, you could go it. I mean, the stuff's cheap, but you can go in and you can spend an absolute fortune there. But I literally picked up like a pack of like acrylic paints because I thought, well, the Citadel stuff I've got, that's acrylic. How different could this have I've seen the word acrylic before. I'm sure I've got I'm sure I've owned like shirts that were slightly acrylic. 
Um, <laughs> so I kind of bought this thing, this kind of color, so colorful rainbow set yeah. of acrylics, and I thought I could maybe try them on models. I haven't tried them on models yet, but there's definitely a future there. So I'm tempted yeah. to, I'm tempted to bling up my Space Marines and have like I love it. Have like Marines. nine of them, like in kind of like there are nine of the nine of them in purple and gold, right? And then just one, just, kinda, <laughs> just one that's accidentally put their armor in the wash with like a red sock. And I'm thinking of like just like having just this one Space Marine who is just in bright bright future living the best life and and just, just like so people would go you've got nine of these and the tenth one looks like it fell into a sweet shop and we just yes and if you look there's the kind of the here's the kind of the smarties um Do space marines wear socks I would think is like, anyone doing this research like I, we see, need this to is, get some people on it they're all arguing about whether or not you should have like women as space marines and stuff like that but at the end of the day right if you took those big heavy metal boots off are they hiking socks or okay crocs <laughs> oh, <laughs> god. oh god for the, for the emperor <laughs> <laughs> just charging against tyrannids wearing a set of crocs right because they're breathable when- and they're yeah, practical. that's the thing. You if, know. if you're going to be wading through orc corpses all <laughs> afternoon, you want something comfortable. You want yeah. something breathable. You yeah. want something that's going to be wiped clean. And the croc yes. probably is that. I'm thinking, I think socks would end up, you'd end up, you'd get trench foot. Whereas if yeah. you wore crocs, yeah. I think, right, with your connections and my, and, and my, and your know how, punch on for talking nonsense. We could ask them, Derek. I think we need to knock up on the front door and just go, look, where's the Space Marine Crocs? And if they I take them we, on, going to we just make them. We style them up. Mm-hmm. We take them to GW's headquarters where they've got the big Space Marine outside. Yeah. We put, we put them on him and then we start a protest and we're there every day until they either get removed or they get put on every Marine. I think we enter them into that painting competition. You know the one that did, was it called <laughs> the Golden the Demon? The Golden Demon, <laughs> and it's just like it's just like. And what have you done? Because you do get people that kind of like they change, they yeah. kind of like do customizations, and it's just Space Marine after a hard day, and you've got a, like a towel, and holding a loofah. I mean, because loofahs exist, don't they? And he's just yeah, standing yeah. there, and normal armor all the way down. Towel on the shoulder, maybe not a loofah, maybe a drink. And then the shoes are off, and underneath there's just these little feet with a set of kind of <laughs> crocs, crocs on them. I'd like to remind you at this point, Benji, that you said yes, that you'd come yeah. on the show. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. And this is exactly why. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Where were we? The thing with it, right, the thing with the arts, the thing with any kind of creative industry. Mm-hmm is that you get people that they kind of, they go along like this through their career and they just kind of, they make the career. They don't do anything what you would consider spectacular. For some reason, for some reason, the difference between somebody who is like, say, a photographer and somebody who's a bricklayer is 
a bricklayer doesn't go and visit his parents and his parents don't wonder when he's going to make it big and make this really impressive wall. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas yeah. I can imagine, depending on, you know, you go and so, so what, what you, so you're not, you're not working on anything kind of impressive at the moment. You're not photographing anything wonderful. You don't get anyone saying, so you, did, you, you didn't finish that uh, expansion to the Sistine Chapel then. Not yet, mum. <laughs> Next week, I put in some calls. But, in terms of the, the creativity, when you graduated from mm. and got your got your qualifications and mm. your degree, was there was there a case of did you have a career path planned or was it a case of ah oh, what am I gonna how, where am I gonna go with this what am I gonna do with this kind of thing? No, no, t- typically creative. Like I, I'm such a dabbler, and this this is a huge uh, this is a huge common occurrence for me. Is like dipping my toe in lots of things, trying mm. out stuff. Um, and for me, that's that's what I did. Like I was freelancing for a long time, working for lots of different companies, doing lots yeah. of different projects, and just sort of seeing what fit. Um, and you saying about taking the bricklayers, uh, the the bricklayers' wall yeah. back home and seeing yeah. what they say. For me, my dad's super into Formula One racing. He right. loves it. Yeah. And uh, for one of my main contracts um, was for a, a company who did motorsport uh, marketing and media and I would work uh, filming and making uh, TV shows um, for this rallying thing. Wow. And uh, I had I had a TV show on Amazon Prime that I, I had filmed it with a team of guys. I'd edited the show. My name was over it and I got to take it home and I got to, I didn't even need to take a disc to him. We loaded up on Amazon Prime. Wow. It was free. Don't get me wrong. It yeah, was yeah. free on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's not yeah. good, but it's, you know. Yeah, that's, uh, that's and, Amazon Prime. And, I mean. And he couldn't have cared less. <laughs> he could not have cared less. <laughs> He's like, well, it's it's rallying. I don't actually like rallying. I like I like cars that are slightly lower to the ground and more expensive. I would have I would have went and taken them. My next film would have mean mean sneaking into the F one paddock and setting fire to several of the cars and then sending it <laughs> sending it to them and go, do you like those cars? Let them on fire. Writing his name in fuel. (laughs) (laughs) And see these gloves? Yeah, the ones I had you wear the other day? Yeah, those are your fingerprints. (laughs) You're going to jail. (laughs) And all you had to say was you liked my rally series. Um But is that is that the kind of is that kind of what happens is that there's not and I guess unless you're kind of getting involved even with uh getting into something like the BBC or something like that, everything seems to kind of be kind of outsourced and there's kind of contracts and subcontracts so you get a contract for like six months to film something but then at the end of that six months you're kind of like i better check if my shirt still fits me (laughs) because i better check if i'm out on iron works kind of thing yeah and like and i think that's actually how i um how i ended up kind of here is like uh, the connectivity is something that I really enjoyed. Like the fact that you're there for six months means mm. that you make really good connections with people. And it's all about making sure that you have the next thing lined up and you meet people and you see what project are you on next. And you have that kind of web of people and you end up working on a lot of stuff. And that actually really suits the kind of job that I do for Osprey, which yeah. is specifically interacting with loads of people at like different ends of this kind of spider web. So how did you get into your journey on the table journey with tabletop? My word is mm. like X Factor. Me. Um <laughs> but what came first? Your involvement in the tabletop industry or secretly kind of moving stuff around a big bit of cardboard with dice and stuff? 
Oh, it's definitely secretly moving things around the cardboard <laughs> table. Actually, it's not even secret. I was very much the kind of person who, as as a young teen, yeah. would be desperately corralling as many people to a dining room table as possible to move little plastic men around some cereal boxes. Or we've we've got this great idea for a role playing game that mm-hmm. is absolutely dreadful because that instead of using dice, we're using spoons or whatever. That was definitely me as a teenager. That sounds like a game idea. Uh, please, all ideas here are, are free <laughs> to take. If I'm saying them out loud, it's because Osprey Games refuse to take my ideas. Apparently, I, cereal boxes and Space Marines isn't isn't great. I think, right, you have a game, but what it is, is it's like, it's like your, your kind of, your ability to do a task is based around the number of spoons that you can balance <laughs> on your face. So you kind of go, is this a one spoon thing? Is this a two spoon? He's gone for the four spoon. And you just have kind of like different spoons. I mean, they're not like silvery spoons, but they're slightly rubbery. So they would stick to your skin if you did. You just got to balance them properly. Different sizes of spoons for different tasks. The more challenging the task, probably the smaller the spoon. Different colored spoons depending on the specialist skill. Depending on the skill. Sometimes forks, if you've got a particularly challenging We, we, that, Maybe a spork. Probably the start with a spork. That just reminds me of one of my favourite was it uh, Terry Pratchett lines where he says he remembers going up there to spoon on a couple and on, on a one occasion fork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So we. So what kind of games were you? I mean, what kind of games were you into? Was it kind of like the role playing kind of war game type stuff or? I didn't really think about it, particularly as a teenager, it just kind of happened. Mm. Um, I was playing, obviously everybody plays some amount of board games, yes. I think, m- mostly um, when you're, you know, a kid or whatever. And I think uh, I slipped into playing some 40k and other GW stuff when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. Um, played a lot of Mordheim, loved Mordheim, um, but didn't really understand the connection between war games and board games. And then uh, around that time... I then uh, found this club um, back home uh, and I got invited to come and play D&D for the first time. And without realising the connectivity between roleplay games, war games and board games, mm-hmm. I just sort of slipped into all three of those things, but I didn't really connect them up. Um, so I was, I then sort of went through phases of like playing a lot of one specific game. Um, and then when I went to university, I then just dove into everything and just kind of consumed as many different things as possible so i i hit all of them really um yeah and i've got i've got very specific tastes in all of them um but yeah it, it just depends like i say toe dipper <laughs> is there any stuff that you kept oh from yeah kind of like university my... days? you got like a little yeah. treasure trove your little retirement thing where you can say well actually i've got the original 1993 version of this which is worth Oh, please. That's, that's, so I often talk at work about, um, grail games, like the yeah. games that you, you're desperate to get, yeah. um, that are really hard to get hold of. Um, and that runs concurrently for me, grail games and games that you absolutely cannot get rid of. And there's this through line between them because sometimes you have these games that you had as a kid, yeah. but you got rid of and you, you can't replace them. Yes. And either cause they've, they've, you know, you can't get hold of the things or because they've upgraded the things. Um, and for me, one of the things I cherish, uh, along with all my original like Dungeons and Dragons books from like third edition or whatever mm-hmm. I'm playing, mm-hmm. those, those are close to my heart, but I have a copy of the board game Grape Escape, 
where you uh you move around a board with some play-doh men that yeah. get like squashed and cut up yeah and i i cannot ever get rid of that and now that game still exists but it's every all the art's been upgraded and like it's it's officially licensed by play-doh it's not the same thing i i need to have this crunchy awful looking thing with all the old play-doh oh it makes me so happy just to know that that's still there i was uh, i think it was it was it justin dewitt or was it Keith? It might have been Keith Mateka I was speaking to about um, your me name drop. Uh, we're talking about um, Escape from Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. And the original yeah. Waddington's Escape from Atlantis yeah. is literally probably yeah. in landfills everywhere because it'll, it'll, yeah. it'll still exist. But it was like it had these huge, crunchy, chunky plastic pieces for like yeah. the sea monsters and the, the boats. And the boats had, I remember the boats being plastic and having sails. And I remember them being sails because. I think probably 90% of them got broken. And every single time I almost yeah. cried that when I said <laughs> kind of accident, except one time I did cry because I think I stood on it and yeah. And that was, that was a kind of a, that was a kind of a, a kind of a painful, a kind of a painful thing. Um, in terms of then getting into the industry. Yeah. How did you kind of venture? How did you venture in? Was it a contract thing? Were you kind of like doing side jobs, or was it kind of like? So it was a side job thing for me. Right. I um I actually had a lot of friends who were sort of uh, skirting around the edge of the industry. I had a lot of friends who from that same D and D group mm-hmm. and some of my war game friends who started writing for some publishers and sort of on the fringes of stuff, but. Um, when I was freelancing, one of my friends started working for a company called Games Quest, who do a lot of fulfillment in the UK for I, uh, Kickstarters. I, I have spoken to Nigel. Right. He's right. So, he's, yeah, yeah, Nigel's, so Nigel Nigel's, used to be my boss. All right. Okay. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I can, every time I used to speak to Nigel, I used to rib him a bit. But, you know, I, I, hope, he's doing, I hope he's doing well. As far as I'm aware, he's, as far as I'm aware, he's well. Yeah. But. Yeah, so we, uh, so my fr- one of my friends I used to play D and D with, uh, mm. he started working for Games Quest, and I did, uh, I did some video work for them. I started helping out at some conventions because um, mm. they knew that I'm a people person. I love people, so I would start volunteering at conventions, um, and then I ended up becoming their social media person. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working on um, a lot of Simon projects at the time. Yes, and they were um, they needed to kind of have a bit of a rebranding and a relaunch um, and try and basically increase their communications because they were taking on so many uh, different projects from people. Um, and part of the job of being in fulfillment is kind of being uh, this uh, mediator between the actual publisher and the and the backer for Kickstarter. Um, so they wanted somebody who could sort of help with that communication between yeah. the two and become sort of a public face. Um, so I started doing that and that just uh, then kind of just bloomed into so many other different things because I was able to meet people. Because um, obviously when you go to enough conventions, yeah, you work for a company who by its very nature interacts with lots of other companies. Yes. And you go back to that kind of web that I was talking about earlier. It's, it's kind of interesting because I remember Games Quest kind of they went through a kind of a, a kind of a not a like a dark patch as some as some because you could tell they'd taken on lots of projects. You could tell they were dealing mm. with them. You could tell like a typical kind of you could say technical company mm. who weren't used to having a public face. It then became the case it was like, oh, but you're dealing with board gamers and everywhere through the entire process, 
they've done the Kickstarter, so they've been speaking to the designer developer. They're now, you know, they're now yeah. wanting to speak to the the people who are doing the fulfillment. And yeah. I think sometimes what happened with get what happened with Games Quest is was it was like, but we we don't they're not our customer. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. the guys that we're speaking to, they're not our customer. It's not the person, it's not Johnny who's ordered kind of like, uh, who's ordered Ankh or whatever. He's not our customer. It's actually, but then I think what happened is it realized, and I think they do it now on a regular basis is the kind of the updates. And I think everybody, yeah. I think Spiral do it, Spiral Galaxy do it. I certainly know that games, you know, Games Quest do it. It's, it's now become a case that we're providing a service. We're not necessarily your public facing company, but they now have yeah. to kind of like do a weekly kind of update yeah. on Facebook to say, this is what's going out. This is what's coming up, and here's the projects that we're currently kind of working on. So and was I that actually you? started. Yes. That mate, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> so I I started all that stuff because they, like you say, there was this shift of gears because yeah. Kickstarter suddenly started taking in so many more people than ever before. Yes, and then because of that, because the audience grew so much, there was so much more demand. Mm-hmm. Then more publishers jumped on board, and Kickstarter absolutely boomed, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. And because Kickstarter boomed, it meant that fulfillment then followed suit. Yeah, and when fulfillment followed suit, we then were in this era of like, okay, well, I can now speak to any of these game designers about their game on social media. I can just speak with them. Yeah. So if something's if something hasn't turned up or it's wrong. Then I need to. I can just speak with them, but obviously, that communication then needs to follow suit with every part of the chain. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it was a really interesting time. It was really challenging, but it was it was really exciting, and um, it was great to be part of that like huge growth as well, and to see kind of the inside of how Kickstarter does does stuff. Um, like seeing how the sausage is made, I think is absolutely fascinating. I that's something that uh, the idea of like playing uh with a finished board game is is super exciting but knowing how many steps that's gone through yeah how many different people have touched that product how many different people have specifically carefully had a tiny little bit of love put into it that's what excites me yeah you stayed you stayed at games quest for a while was it right in saying you went to osprey after games quest or did you go somewhere else between there yeah, so I was working with them. I did. Uh, I finished with them right at the beginning of the pandemic because um, uh-huh. we had. They had a big shake around because obviously people are going to be working from home. Yeah, I was freelancing at that time, um, and then one of my friends had messaged me and said, "Oh, I saw this thing. It looks exactly like something that you would uh, you would apply for," mm-hmm. uh, which was this uh, game the job at uh, Osprey Games, um, and I was kind of surprised because I'd never looked at myself as a marketing person before. Up until that point, I'd been sort of skirting around it because I'd considered myself as a video producer first and foremost. Yeah. But realized that as part of the videos that I was like, I'd made videos for Kickstarter. And yeah, I yeah. Worked on a social media campaign that included videos, but yeah. I was so video focused that I'd forgotten that actually I was doing marketing plans for stuff and I was mm-hmm. writing copy that goes with stuff. And yeah. I was making press releases and all of that stuff was exactly what I needed to mm-hmm. then work with Osprey. And Osprey is in a... <clears throat> Osprey's in a kind of a slightly, what you would say is maybe a slightly different position than a lot of board sure. game publishers because they are a publisher and they've got a big publishing thing behind them. Yeah. So you're moving away from kind of like being in a salesy type role if you're working with Kickstarter to all of a sudden actually doing, well, how do we kind of get the kind of the, 
how do we get the word kind of out there? Yeah. Does it still, does the work at Osprey, does it still allow you to go out and kind of, I guess, Benji the world? <laughs> you still get the opportunity to go out and speak to people and see people and things like that. Yeah, I I feel hugely hugely fortunate to have uh, the job that I do. Like, mm. um, we're we're at a quite a specific window of the industry where there are so many publishers which are uh, just a one person band who yeah. is you know making their first game or the first couple of games. Their thing goes on Kickstarter and they'll they'll foster one project for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then obviously at the other end of that, you have this tiny, tiny number of companies like your Fantasy Flights, your Hasbro's, yes. who are just pumping out product. They're working on these absolute behemoths. And there's this small window in between that I feel like Osprey Games fits in of companies who, are, who have full-time staff like yes. myself. Yeah. Um, and we're able to uh, be slightly more agile... Um, than the big behemoths who are trying to steer a ship with like Marvel and Star Wars properties. Yeah, yeah. But also we've we've got a bit more clout to us than uh, say someone who's you know making miniatures in their own garage or whatever. Um, so we're kind of sitting in that in between bit, and it's it's really exciting because there's very few companies who do that, and it means that we have consistent releases that are coming out. Um, but it means that we still get to have a lot of that creativity and the freedom to make stuff and do exciting things because. We we work for um we're an imprint of a book publisher. We work yes. for Bloomsbury Publishing. Yes. Um so basically they look at us and they're like, These these guys are really weird because we don't understand <laughs> the products they're making. They don't they they're not this shape and they don't have like three hundred pages. They've got like twenty pages, but they don't make any sense because they're all talking about dice and rulers. And then with the book comes like hundreds of tiny pieces of wood and cardboard. <laughs> So it means that we're, we're we're given a bit of freedom to then be like, don't worry, guys, we've absolutely got this. We can we can take it from here. We know what we're doing. And then we can go out and we can kind of, you know, make cool videos or we can, you know, travel around and do different mm. conventions and stuff. Yeah. And we can kind of be a bit freer than the other arms of the business that are just doing specific like book fairy kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's great because they, they trust us to actually know what we're doing and they really invest in people who are passionate about their hobbies and it's really cool because we get to work with other people who are super passionate about tabletop stuff yeah it's kind of interesting that one of the things that i noticed that osprey games hasn't kind of gone down is they haven't gone down the kind of the getting as many ip as possible and i mean even games like uh, say like wildlands yeah now wildlands to me i love wildlands it's like i've you know it's one of it's one of my i just really like it um, but at the same time, it's one of these games where you can say, oh, I can imagine if you got this IP on it or this kid's IP on it, or if you got like, you know, but you don't, you, you did it with like, I think one of the kind of the wild land variations, which was like Judge Dredd, I think it was Helter Skelter. Yeah. And that was the only time I seen you kind of dip in and say, right, we've taken one of our core products and done that. Do you think that kind of, as you say, it gives you kind of like the freedom to kind of not, you're when you're it kind of gives you that freedom that you're not having to manage people's expectations i can imagine that when helter skelter went out there with judge dread there would have been you know four or five 2000 ad fans that went actually i think you'll find that his badge is the wrong way around and that he doesn't use his gun like that and there's no way that he goes you know in mega city you'll find he's got the wrong artist there and this is their contemporary time but you're not whereas you look at say um the undaunted series 
apart from kind of like the historical accuracy that you rely obviously on Trevor and um, Trevor and David to bring to the table, you're not kind of, uh, I guess you're not kind of like, uh, there's not somebody kind of standing over you just kind of like waggling their finger to say, well, you're not being entirely kind of accurate with that. Yeah, it, it means that we can uh, we can play with something, a world that a creator has made, mm-hmm. but we don't have quite as much bureaucracy as if you've got these absolute behemoths of IP that you mm-hmm. need to be very carefully checking through so many layers. Um, and it we have played around with IP a little bit, like you say, with like things like Judge Dredd and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, we w- where we have that um, accuracy for us uh, comes from our... Uh, the military history background of like Osprey Publishing. Yeah, we have um, a lot of people in house who have all of that knowledge of like this is the exact tank that you're looking for for the cover of this, or this is the rifle that whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because we have that background of those experts who can um, bring that accuracy to what we're doing, it gives a sense of authenticity. But also at the end of the day, we're still making something that is somewhat fictionalized, right? Like Undaunted Stalingrad, for example. Like the idea of that game is that you get to have your own narrative that plays around with the core idea of the actual history of Stalingrad and what happened to that city. Um, But you have a fictionalized version of it with narrative that weaves into it. So it's that, that mixing of um, that mixing of fantasy uh, with and fiction and nonfiction, I guess it's a better way Mm. of putting it um, means that there's loads of stuff that we can do. um, And it means that we aren't just, absolutely beholden to whoever owns the rights to like you yeah. say, judge dread or whatever yeah um and it, it's cool because obviously we want to have accuracy because fans and community are a huge important part of any kind of media but especially games because you're living in those worlds you're actually spending hours and hours thinking about those characters or spending hours painting or modeling or doing something because that to you is accuracy so i think a lot of what we do is to try and uh, make sure that we're as accurate as the fans want us to be, but also give people space to grow and do stuff. Like uh, I work with um, Joe McCullough on like Stargrave and Oathmark and those games. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, though, like seeing the creativity of his Facebook communities to me is wild because you'll see on one end people will be wanting to make these um, like perfect uh star wars recreations and they'll make their stargrave crew that looks exactly like star wars characters yeah and on the other hand you'll see people who are like kit bashing together things that you couldn't even dream of and making these wild creations and those two things can exist in the same game and that's awesome the fact that we can build a community that can work for both of those kinds of player is is great and i I guess that the other the other thing is as well is that are you able then to kind of like bring in your ideas? I mean, when you're having yeah. discussions with things, is it quite, because I can imagine that the things with kind of any kind of creative endeavor is that somebody could say, you could maybe save some time if you take a pencil into space instead of spending all this money on this pen kind of thing. Yeah. But is it sometimes yeah. you could just like, well, this kind of doesn't make, Kind of any sense because I imagine you have the fans and somebody says, "Well, I've created this entire world because of the way that this holster is attached to this gun, mm-hmm. you know, and that that is the materials and that's where the planet comes from." Blah 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 blah. But then for someone like yourself, are you able to say when you work? You see, you're mentioning you're working with you know, people involved in Stargrave. Are you able to say, "Well, what about this or what about that?" Or as well, that's 
uh, and that's the interesting thing about where we are in the marketing department is like because we're this middle-sized company there are multiple eyes and people touching any of our games so yeah instead of just instead of there is one person who writes the game who then publishes it uh, we have multiple layers of we have that goes from you know designer through to our development team our development team will pass that to production mm. and then marketing will touch that so there's all these different pieces the puzzle and all of those are different sets of eyes who all have very different uh, interests and experiences so it means that we will get to touch something and be like oh have you thought about adding this and like exactly like you say being able to go oh I might be the first person who's looked at this who has experience in this specific thing. Yeah. Could you change this? Like, um, I worked on a game, uh, some RPGs last year. Yeah. Um, and I got to be one of the first people to actually, like, GM those RPGs because yeah. once that's all ready to go, that comes up to us. Um, and then once we play them and get them on the table, um, we can say, oh, like, have you thought about adding this thing? And yeah, yeah. Go, oh yeah, actually, because it's just some words we can add that on before it goes out the door, you know? Which yeah. Is I suppose it's just a, it's a question of, I guess, pressing, pressing control and A on a particular paragraph and deleting <laughs> it and going, actually just attack them with a the bacon. You'll be fine. Um, and just kind of, <laughs> I wish it were that simple. <laughs> leaving it like that. Um, I had a discussion with Chris from the table uh, tabletop, Chris Eggett. Yeah, yeah, Chris Eggett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we rest, had... rest in peace, Chris. Uh, he left his job yesterday. I think he did leave his job yesterday. Yeah. Long, you know. Yeah. God bless him and all that sailing. Rest, rest in power, Chris. <laughs> rest in power. <laughs> he should have. I tell you what. If if that was the case, the Ravagers would turn up and put on a light <laughs> show. They <laughs> did. I watched that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about yeah we are talking chris is his, but we were talking about kind of like address books and it was like yeah. who would have the most interesting kind of address book and i was like saying well i've spoken to blah, 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 blah. i've like over the last seven years i've kind of you know it's okay and then he would say well i've yeah. spoken to blah, blah 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 and then ben maddox came in and ben maddox is obviously he's spoken to like probably every kind of big name but then i'm thinking your address book must be pretty cool because you've got a lot of the kind of the, you know, let's face it, you know, you've got shut up and sit down. I've seen them kind of talking about kind of your products. I've seen no pun included. My question for you is, right, so you've got these big guys and they've got the numbers and you know if you send them a game and if they like the game, it's going to help with the sales. Mm. Have you have you ever kind of went thought about doing an Emperor Palpatine and kind of went unlimited power and then just like went, you know, sorry, Quince, but I just don't think, um, just <laughs> just don't think you're going to get the numbers on this one. So we're going to give it to somebody else just as a joke to disease. I, I think I would be fired. I think I would be fired <laughs> if that were the case. <laughs> I think, because, uh, no. you know, I mean, those those what, what i love about shop and sit down is that they will cover stuff that yeah. they want to cover yes. i love that they won't just cover everything again sent their way and that's awesome i think being able to have that kind of power um obviously they're afforded that because they have so many views and stuff yeah, but yeah. it means that they're able to be real tastemakers which is which is really something in an industry where there's obviously so many people keen on like covering stuff um but I think if I didn't, the problem is if I didn't send them stuff, 
they would probably also come knocking. <laughs> I can, well, I can just imagine it's like, is it maybe not, a, it's, is it potentially a litmus test? Because I know that there's obviously, it's like the dice tower and things like that. I know, and I, I, I've, I know um, Mike Delisio quite well, who works on the dice tower, and he just yeah, says yeah. like literally like they they could open the front door of the dice tower every day, and it has to be a tower because of the how high they have yeah, to stack the yeah. games. And they just open it, and they've just got delivery after delivery kind of coming in, and I wonder, in terms of kind of litmus test, if you said, you know. Hey Quince, how's it going? Or hey Tom, how's it going? Um, are you interested in looking at general orders? And if they turned round and says, "I've kind of looked at it, but it's not really our bag," mm. I wonder if then, if you report that back, does that then have them go, "Oh, they're not interested in it. <laughs> Why not?" But that's that's an excellent point though, because not every game is for every person. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think we we got really lucky because um, Quinns really likes uh, Undaunted because yeah. he's a card he's a card game player he's he's yeah. like me he's an old like an old netrunner player and he's played a lot of Magic and stuff so that is that is the kind of thing that he's into. Um, but for example, like if and uh, I'm trying to think of something like if we sent them um, like some really chunky, very very dry, abstract, heavy Euro. They're very, they're much less likely to cover it, and they because it's not their thing. They like to play stuff that's going to be a card game or a mm-hmm. dexterity game or something doing mm-hmm. something creative. But that doesn't mean that there isn't an audience for that game. You just need to find whoever that person is that is into those games, right? Mm-hmm. I asked this question of a previous guest about in relation to new creators mm. reaching out to yourselves. Mm. Um, now I had a shoe in, I'll admit it, because I had Turtsy. A croc, a croc. <laughs> when you get, you get, when you have the croc of the industry, which is David <laughs> Turtsy, yeah, you just yeah. chuck it at people and you just let yeah. in. But I understand. And, and but um, on another another episode, I was when I was asking Julius, what what's going to make you kind of what kind of information does a new creator need to send you to make you think actually i might engage because imagine you could just you know as you say you've kind of like hey quince you just i bet you when you type an email i bet you just press q and it automatically yeah it's like i accidentally i accidentally sent um I accidentally sent out uh, sent out for uh, some Egyptian cotton, and I was going to send it to the Queen of the Nile at gmail dot com, and I accidentally sent seven rolls to Quinn <laughs> But he think it was kind of like a viral marketing campaign kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, what we're going to do with all this Egyptian? I'm sure, I'm sure he'd love it. He'd probably yeah. wear it in a video. Make curtains. Yeah, he'd probably actually um, wear it in a video. Wear curtains and everything like that. But anyway, go back. Uh, so, like, what do I, what do we, uh, what's a good way to reach out to us? Yeah. Um, so, I, I have a huge contact list. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it's really helpful for people to just show us what the connections are um, mm-hmm. because uh, we have a lot of people who reach out who will just be like, hey, we're interested in doing some coverage. And you're like, that's great, but I have no idea who you are. Yeah. So, um, we, we like to work with people who are 
talking in interesting ways. Um, obviously, if you've got a following of a certain size, that's that's really helpful. Mm. But also, if you're talking about things or to a different audience that we might not have seen, that's really really cool. Um, we get a lot of people who reach out who be like, "Oh, I I might only have like a couple of thousand followers on Twitter, or whatever." Um, but we'd be interested in covering your stuff because we really love uh, small box party games. And we're like, yeah. oh, that's great. Yeah. My list for small box party games is quite small. And then you look and you're like, oh, these people are from a specific country that I've not spoken to. Yeah. Or um, they're working for a magazine I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, so there's, there, we're always looking to diversify that list and try and get just a big range of people on. Um, and there's, like I said earlier, there's kind of different games to different people. And it's the same thing for reviewers. Um we specifically like working with people who obviously can also be communicative back. So it really helps if people who reach out are able to send me links, yeah. make sure that they're <clears throat> tagging stuff correctly, like yeah. just some basic kind of digital etiquette stuff just so that, that, um, so that there's visibility. I think a lot of people don't understand that if you tag someone, they you just become more visible. Um, they might make a review of something and then they don't put the product name in it or they don't tag the company or whatever and it just gets lost in the ether. Um, and I think actually podcast is a really interesting thing, right? Because podcast as a medium is something that isn't very easily searchable. If you aren't putting stuff in the metadata, in the title, yeah. uh, in the in the copy for the podcast, um, it, it won't get found. Like you could put my name in this, but if you don't put Osprey Games, then maybe maybe it will just disappear and no one will find it um but there there are kind of different levels of that because youtube videos for example are slightly more searchable because we've got closed captions and stuff with them yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. more more people like i can get thumbnails and stuff out of them the youtube algorithm will find and and bubble stuff up to the surface because they'll know that someone who watched one shut up and sit down video will then find another and so on um but then like Compared to uh, like written blogs, for example, people who do like old school, um, just like full text reviews. If I if I type in like I'm looking for a review of the latest game I'm making a campaign for, yeah, I can find that immediately because Google Google knows exactly what I want. So uh, there's there's this kind of odd skewing, like where in our marketing team we spend more time trying to dig and find stuff in the mediums that are harder to search, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why do you think with the kind of the tabletop kind of industry kind of growing, Critical Role mm. seems to kind of be out there and there's a lot of people mm. that, you know, you go to like Apple Podcasts and I look and they're like, they should literally just call themselves number one dot Critical Role because the number of times I see them kind of up the kind of the number one. Yeah. But at the same time, why do you think we don't see a lot more coverage kind of in the kind of the media? Because what, what I see, I mean, the reason more for my question, yeah, I mean, what I see is I see, I constantly see, and it's really, really funny, I constantly see kind of people kind of putting out critiques or people, experts talking with kids, you know, talking about kids and what, what kids can do and how parents can interact mm. with their kids. And I don't see them turn around and going, here's, you know, <laughs> here's yeah, here's yeah. a game. Here's a game you can play with your kids. It's a fantasy-based setting where you kind of collect jewels and you fight each other and it's card-based and it's language dependent. So you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a brilliant kind of reading age. But I'm always surprised that there isn't that kind of kind of reach. I don't know. And I I'm I'm kind of perplexed considering that considering that we're getting kind of 
Kickstarters that are going into their millions now, mm-hmm. that something like Frosthaven, for instance, isn't something that's kind of covered on the mm. kind of the if it's if we're still if we're still niche, I guess. Yeah, I um <laughs> so at Christmas I know that um Dan from Senate Magazine mm-hmm. um had an article in the Guardian, for example, um of like ten games to play with your kids this Christmas kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that was huge because like taking some hobby stuff and being able to get that into like a mainstream newspaper is like that that's a that's a chink in the armor that's found that you can yeah, get yeah, through yeah, right yeah um and i think the uh seeing sites like uh places like critical role and stuff being able to jump between um media and seeing shows like vox machina yeah um, yeah and seeing some of that stuff i think slowly start to seep into the public consciousness i think is a huge step I think so much of it, my guess, is that the idea of mainstream media is built around what mainstream media itself deems to be uh, the average viewer or reader. Mm. And they're, they're, for things like newspapers, for example, you're, you're likely to skew more middle class if you're looking at something like The Guardian. And therefore, you then take these this very specific kinds of demographic. And I think they don't see uh, the gaming hobby itself as being part of what those core demographics are yet. And I think that's largely going to continue to keep changing as more of our geek culture kind of uh, seeps into that. And Mm. as we start to get a bit older, because by the time that our generation are retired, that (laughs) will have had such a long lasting um, impact across the decades that I think there'll be this long trail of stuff that's out there. But don't forget, media is um, such a huge boom because like, the digital revolution has absolutely like just pumped it full of adrenaline. Like, There's more music made in the last 10 years than in the last 100 years. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so much stuff out there. Same yeah. for board games. And I think um, we are still a hobby, but we're not necessarily a hobby that's uh, particularly palatable if you're trying to... Uh, make a newspaper that wants to talk about like here's a lovely dinner to cook on a Sunday afternoon yeah, or like a, you know or if you're like ITV news and you're you're wanting to do a package about like let's let's talk about sports or you know there's there's uh there's still a kind of niche to it and I think we will always have that because we like it unfortunately we love gatekeeping ourselves we're dreadful at it <laughs> we are but also but that's what hobbies are right i think the other thing is as well as i think there's nothing more boring than saying and uh and uh yeah and these guys they there's about four of them they kind of got together and uh they they played a, they played a couple of games unusual ones um and uh during the conversation one of them they, they ended up having a kind of a positive interactivity interaction in relation to one of their mental health uh Kind of issues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like that's not news they don't want that yeah, what they want yeah. is four people around the table kind of we're playing burn the puppy game yeah. <laughs> we're, ch- <laughs> we're chucking and it's encouraging them to do kind of like how many how puppies. many backers have you got for your kickstarter six. for uh burn six. the puppy you've got six. Six. Yeah. six yeah they're all at the vip tier though right so you're probably gonna make it's money laundering gold. I mean, that's right. Okay. I mean, okay. like it is. It's okay. like it was either that or it was like selling uh, my artwork at the local kind of art fair, uh, <laughs> which is which is old fashioned money laundering. Which is also called it's it's a series of portraits with various uh, cute animals um, in liquidizers, and the entire thing is called Fluffy to Red. And uh, surprisingly enough, um, got asked to leave. 
um, after making several kind of people people cry. I mean, not actually any animals will hurt. I don't know what the problem is with it, but some people just don't. They just don't appreciate art. People will be screaming right now because there is, a, isn't there like an exploding kittens game that's called like kittens in a blender or something? something like I'm sure that. that that's a game. That is that's, definitely. Just, the fact that we've covered like everything is a game. <laughs> everything is literally, everything yeah. is literally a game. Yeah. Um, What's, <laughs> I was like going to say something and then I realized that, that was the wrong thing to say. So I'm glad, but now you're going to wonder what blender. I was going to say. Get him out of the blender. I was going to say, what's, What's turning your head in the world of cardboard just now, Mr. Ooh. Darcy? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, the over-the-shoulder meme looking. Um, so it's a, it's a great segue. So uh, I've got loads of stuff because um, I, love, I love something that's novelty. Like I mentioned Grape Escape earlier because it's yes. got this like thing about Play-Doh, right? So yeah. I love novelty. Um, but also I think part of the reason I love novelty is because I like seeing how designers are innovating on something yes. and not only that but where developers are willing to put money behind it and take a risk on working something into more of a mainstream um product and more and a game that other people will see because it's all well and good making like this niche thing as a designer and like 10 people see it it's yeah. different when it gets out there right so um for example off the top of my head uh really looking a lot into um non-combat war games like uh there's uh i fell into a discord recently um when i was at (laughs) salute uh that was this whole discord devoted to peaceful wargaming of and what wargaming could be if you're instead of fighting each other you're herding sheep and uh, i saw this game um i can't remember the designer's name and i should be able to name drop it but herding 28 um it's about wow. herding sheep or other creatures yeah uh, and then other people saw that design and were like cool what if we were picking apples or what if we were fishing or and stuff like that just blows my mind of like there's so much creativity of people out there votes for and women because i right votes like, for women that's and that being in the war games category for the Golden Geek Awards was awesome. That's so cool. Like that it's it's great that we're I mean, obviously I wanted Stalingrad to win because that was my game there, but Yeah. It, and yeah, seeing stuff like that is awesome. Like um I'm running uh tomorrow night I'm running a game of uh Dread, the RPG oh, that yeah. uses a Jenga, yeah, the tower, Jenga tower instead yeah, of yeah, dice. Yeah, yeah. Um so like stuff like that, like when I see somebody who's putting out something, um, like you spoke about Alice is Missing previously, I think. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, stuff like that. And you're like, whoa, hang on. Wait, we don't need to use these dice, but I've got so many D&D books that I, what? Wait, what? And you can take something that's so small and just turn it into something really exciting. That's the stuff that really switches me on. The, I played the um, I played the Honey Heist. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one ago. page the one thing. page yeah. thing where it's like literally yeah. it's like you can either decide to be more gangster or more bear but you can't yeah. Yeah. continue to be totally a gangster because otherwise you turn into a gangster and you can't continually go into being more bear because otherwise you so the actions were just literally kind of going between these two things and it was like there's two things you're like this is so simple and it's like the other thing is why hasn't anybody kind of thought about this before and it was the same yeah. with um when david and trevor were talking about uh, general orders, I'll get the name right. I kind of must have butchered that name. <laughs> Under orders, following yeah. orders, <laughs> through orders, past <laughs> orders. And it's like, no, it's general orders. All right. Yeah. But they were saying, oh, it's worker, it's a worker placement kind of war game. And I'm just like going, it's, it's a what? <laughs> yeah. It's a we, how? 
when that hit my desk, I immediately started frantically Googling because I assumed that the yeah. claim of worker placement war game, it's one of the first worker placement war games, that, that must have been done before. No. And all I found were loads of threads of other people saying, not not really. Is this one? Ah, uh, not really. Well, is, is, <laughs> does this count? No, it's kind of not a war game, actually. And like David's found there's uh, there's something that I think hit Kickstarter in the last year that's that's kind of a similar um, cross between the two. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's not much out there. And it's it's so exciting to know that like what what does the future hold? What more design space is there to be carved out? Are, is, is, is it also the case that you've kind of got to keep Stum as well that you'll yeah. be a part of the process and like you know because on the episode um apart from me butchering that name there was also <laughs> the part there was that part that was like can we talk about it it's like i don't know it's like i don't care <laughs> it's like you talk <laughs> you know but is a part where you're like kind of going this is so exciting yeah but you haven't seen what's coming up next and it's going to be even more exciting and this is kind of where it's going so you must be obviously working into your marketing plan what what you're going to be looking at what's going to be coming up what people are going to be because you've got the new um you've got the follow-up to merv coming mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. later on spiritual in the, successor is what the we're spiritual, called the spiritual the yeah. spiritual it's the same it just sounds fancier right? it's, it's the it's the same spiritual. palette <laughs> yeah it's yeah the, it's the same it's, color palette it's the same color palette it's just like yeah. i just like i like the color palette yeah. it's like why do you like, like the game <laughs> i like the there's a big stretch between I like camels and I like the color palette. That's kind of like that's that is obviously that's another kind of RPG game. Do you become more like a camel or do you become more like the color palette? I don't know. Um, that looks kind of exciting to me, and I'm kind of interested to see kind of what happens to that. But again, that's one of these things is it's kind of out there and the names out there, but how much kind of information out there is a completely different thing altogether. Yeah, like uh, we should, I should probably name drop it. Sankore, uh, Pride of Mansa Musa. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting because uh, we have obviously quite a lot of track laid out in front of us for mm. marketing. Mm-hmm. I we we work give or take about a year in advance for like locked stuff, so I know what our year next year's worth of releases are. Yeah, and then we have sort of about half a year in front of that that we're kind of scoping and know so. It means that when I'm working on stuff, for example, working on uh, Merv and then Sankore, mm. I've then got to be very careful that I don't start talking about the, the next thing down the road that, you know, maybe we're working on another Euro, like don't mention that. Yeah. Um, but also uh, it's interesting because you you um, you have a lot of irons in the fire and that's mm-hmm. it's about trying to keep them all going at the same time. But also uh, you're checking what everybody else knows. So... For example, with um, general orders is a good example to talk about. Like, uh, I've obviously got loads of images of the game. We've got yes. playtests of the game. We know yes. all this information, like the rule book and stuff. But that stuff isn't public, right? Like, it's not on BGG. So, we try and use Board Game Geek as our kind of litmus test for what is public knowledge, so that we can track yeah. what is out there. Yeah. Um, because sometimes when you're working on so many products and so far ahead, it's quite easy to get to forget that actually no wait this was a surprise like people didn't know that yeah um like uh stalingrad for example when we're working on daunted stalingrad uh we had loads of surprises like we made a point of saying to reviewers please don't talk about the campaign and what happens yeah yeah. we'd like to keep some of the cards that evolve or um 
uh, all the characters that can die. Like we want to keep that surprise. But also there was a point where it was like, oh, when are we going to tell everybody that actually you can destroy buildings and they never come back? When are we going to tell them that? Like, but uh, we'd, that was on the back of the box. Like we'd put stuff out on the back of the box. So like, if people are careful, we are occasionally slipping up and things will go out. But also (laughs) we make a point of trying to seed some stuff that's out there. So like, if you watch the videos that I make, um, sometimes we'll put stuff in the background or if you've pause on the cards, you'll get a spoiler of like some of the stuff that's coming up. Yeah. And we can then see um, like how excited people are for the game because it will hit BGG and people will be like, okay, I paused on this page of someone flipping through the rule book for Battle of Britain. And I can see that there's a scenario that's got like this exact kind of ship. And like, that's, it's so cool, but it's also scary to be like, oh God, I need to make sure that I check everything so carefully. It's like when people, it's like people watching like a Marvel trailer or something like that. You'll get people that will pause it and they'll go, right, that is, that is their, that is their uniform or that is their armor. And I remember that was the, um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness kind of thing and people were going when they re- tried to kind of release those stills of like Captain Britain and stuff like that and people were going it's Tom Cruise it's like it's not Tom Cruise it's this person it's this person it's not <laughs> you know what I mean it's Dorothy out of Golden Girls <laughs> she's come back um, you know but so there you go so that's yeah so it's all all good fun and all, all good things now if people have listened along tonight and they're wondering where they can pick up they're 40k ultramarine crocs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if- <laughs> you you can you can join us. We're going to be picketing outside Games dis- Workshop headquarters. There's going to be a Discord because you have to have. There's going to have a, a Discord with me. Everyone's got a Discord. I've I've not. You have you not? No. You right. To- okay. See the thing with Discord, right? Is it's like it's kind of like it's like if you had a 40th birthday party. And I didn't. And what happens if you invited a whole load of people along and then just like you you kind of made too many sausage rolls because nobody turned up. And my thing with a Discord is, first of all, right, I'm one of these people that gets kind of fixated on stuff. So if I did a Discord, then I'd be going in and I'd be going like, 100% Discord. And then six months in, I'd be going, I've now got a thousand people to look after. Because yeah. I did such a good job of bringing all these thousand people in, and now I've got to kind of keep them happy forever. So I don't have a Discord. But does Osprey Games have a Discord? We actually uh, we're in exactly the boat that you've just described. So we have a Discord, mm-hmm. but it's a Discord that we don't. Ha- we we basically laid out the table, <laughs> and then people started coming in, and then we were like, "Oh, actually, we've got a lot of other things to be cooking." Yeah. So we use our Discord for um, role play games mostly, and we still got some people sort of bubbling stuff there because yeah. our designers check in with that, yeah, so yeah, they're yeah, able yeah. to kind of yeah. speak with their community. Um, and we use it around shows sometimes. Um, so we built them in uh, in one of the lockdowns when all the like UK Games Expo is it going to have an online version? Maybe yeah. we're doing UK Games Expo at home, or yeah, so yeah. we started doing some of that with Discord because it was a really good platform. Um, but it's unfortunately quite closed doors, right? Like. What I was saying earlier about podcasting being quite hard to find stuff. Yes. There's so many of them, but also how do I know if at minute 32 you're going to talk about Ark Nova? I want to listen to Ark Nova. How do I know? Um, But Discord's the same, right? Like if if you know the person already, you can find their Discord. But if you don't, it's a closed room that you don't even know it exists in a dungeon somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think it's quite easy to try and 
think that you're going to have a community when you don't. But then actually, sometimes people just have these communities bloom out of nowhere. You choose one platform, I think. That's my that's my current idiot. Like, choose one platform <laughs> and work that really well. Like, I loved Twitter. That was my baby. I yeah. had we had some great times on Twitter. That's yeah. where everyone was. And now now we're going to figure out where that is. And it's not Twitter. <laughs> it's, but it's hard. Like, if you're if you're trying to be creative uh, and just out there and communicating with your audience, finding where your audience is is hard enough. But also trying to juggle your audience who might be on a bit on Facebook and a little bit on Instagram, a little bit on YouTube comments. or It can be really tough. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of time. It's time consuming. And I, 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 I kind of, I end up doing, I think that's why people do cross-posting. They have yeah. kind of like, yeah. they're kind of like, this is my main platform and I love this platform yeah. and I even check if this platform is fed, fed and watered. Then I have yeah. these other platforms that I'll just throw them some breadcrumbs just to to, yeah. to make them think that they're getting fed and watered, but actually, you know, make them feel a little bit of love. Um, so with that in mind, if people are looking to find you and Osprey, mm. where mm. do you exist on the internet webs? Where, where's the best place to find you? Talking of platforms to find us, you can find us at Osprey Games pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can find us on our website, ospreygames.co.uk mm-hmm. where we've got an excellent blog that I'll point people to with design diaries and cool stuff mm-hmm. we've also got loads of free resources for our games so that's my big plug because people should use the free resources they're wicked free scenarios for Undaunted and stuff but we are also talking with people on Instagram we're starting up um, various other platforms and we're trying to work out what happens post Twitter but we're on Twitter we're on Facebook all those things at Osprey Games there you go and what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put those links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, you know what to do. Go to Google, search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us in all the different places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And we've got our blog, which is We're Not Wizards tabletop.com you can find our podcast, We're Not Wizards.com, or you can find it on Apple and you can find it on Overcast and Undercast and you know fishing cast and whatever cast you know just casting out wherever if you have liked what you've listened to tonight and you should because benji is awesome please go to your podcast catcher at choice and give us a rating or a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or review don't give us 10 stars because you don't want to make us big-headed but at the same time don't give us no stars because it will make us cry we're a couple of ugly criers I'm just gonna. This is where I'll, this is where <laughs> I'll jump in. Go if you're on Spotify. Spotify now has a star rating. Oh, Very well, few go. people know that. Go on Spotify and you can rate your podcast. Go and rate this because this deserves all of your stars. That's you where go. I would put them. Thank you very That's much. That's where I put my stars. <laughs> yes, and make sure you keep us humble, keep us average. But the person who's not been average, rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Benji Corliss. Thank you, Thank Benji. You Thank you, thank you. Thank you. This has been great. You're the best. (laughs) There's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Benji? I'm also not a wizard. Yes. Use a secret. Use a safe. (laughs) Fool of a took. And the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Benji. Say goodbye, Benji. Goodbye, Benji. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes and make something awful. And until the next time, if you're gonna pray, make it osprey. Goodbye. A wizard is never late.
precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm. 